everybody. Welcome to Rockpile Talkpile, the official podcast of the Colorado Rockies subreddit. I'm Zach, otherwise known as username Zach17. Um, we got some friends of the pod um, with us today. We got Evan. Evan, uh, Legacy3233 on the subreddit. You know me. You might love me. You might not. Who knows? We will know, and we will change minds, uh, and we will make everyone love you. We're changing hearts and minds here on the podcast. That's what we do. <laughs> we also got Henry. Hey, I'm Henry, also known as Scrax on the Reddit. Sometimes I do crazy trades on the uh, subreddit. Sometimes I just do whatever. At, th- at this point, I'm more the lights guy, but, you know... <laughs> Oh, yeah, you are the lights guy. What what lights color is uh, leading right now? Okay, so basically I figured out through the sp- spring training, you know, summer camp, right, where... Explain what you're doing with the lights okay. for, for everybody who's just not familiar. So I have these LED lights, right? I got them for Christmas, actually, but I never actually put them up until, like, just a week before the Rocky season. And then I just decided for fun. I was like, okay, uh, how do the Rockies perform with these lights specifically on... And we found out that the blue lights are really good for when the Rockies are pitching, and the purple lights are good for when they're hitting. So that's what I've been going with, and we're four and one, I believe. So I'm gonna keep doing it. Man, superstition's a weird thing when it comes to baseball. Yeah. Yeah. What's your superstition, Evan? Uh, I mean, obviously the uh, if a certain account, a certain event is happening, you do not talk about it. I almost booted somebody earlier this week. Um, there's a zero warning rule. If there's an anti, so the official rule is: if there's two innings of no hits or no walks, you do not talk about it, and you get booted if you talk about right. it. Um, when um, do you remember uh, 2018 when we almost won the division? I wore the same jeans and the same jersey for the six out of seven games that I went to that week. Uh, I wore. I also wore the same jersey every game uh, that I watched. I didn't really get to go to many of those games, but I wore the same jersey. Well, it was solid. It's my Matt Holiday jersey. Ooh, you got a Holiday jersey? Yeah. Well, that's sick. It's what I wore to the um, the NLDS game. Nice. You know, if you ever like meet him in person, you should you should have him like try to like touch the jersey, and we'll have to debate whether or not he actually did or not. No, he touched it. I'm sure he did. Speaking of um, touching or not, did you guys see that Nolan Arenado, um, when he scored, it was like two nights ago, three nights ago, when he uh, was trying to score, and they reviewed the play and whether he was hit or not? So Uh, Nolan's trying to score, and the throw comes in, and he decides to stay standing up. Oh, yeah, yeah. and And he misses the plate entirely. And uh, and finally comes back and uh, touches it, and I feel like that's kind of a good metaphor for what the Rockies have done in this off season and beginning of this very small season. We uh, we completely missed out on every signing there was. You know, we went all the way around to um, Chris Owings and Matt Kemp, and didn't we have? Uh, the the glasses guy from San Francisco Kenley oh yeah oh yeah Wait, what is it uh, Car- Keldy Keldy Tomlinson and don't forget the uh, short lived triumphant return of Ubaldo Jimenez right I, we'll talk about Ubaldo in a second um but when I mean, let me finish this metaphor um 
we went all the way around home plate where everybody else was going to home plate making all these splash trades and then we touch home plate and now it seems like we have a little bit of a lead yeah Henry, you approve of this metaphor? I mean, like, yeah, sure. Like, sure, we missed on all of the uh, big pro- big uh, free agent signings. We didn't even get Puig, which is kind of disappointing for me, but whatever. We're, so dumb. We're 4-1. Nobody got Puig, though. That's all. The Braves almost got Puig. Yeah. And then didn't get Puig. <laughs> Basically. But we did get, like, Daniel Bard, and he's fucking awesome, so. Did you think Daniel Bard was going to be awesome? No, not at all. Definitely not. I I was with Daniel Bard during when when spring training first came around, and I was I was like, huh, is that the same Daniel Bard from the Red Sox? You know, way back when. And I'm like, huh, that's a neat story. He was retired and then came back to us, and because we're going to overcome the yips. I did not uh, expect where we're at now, where he is apparently going to be a crucial part of our bullpen. Yeah, right. Define the yips for you in pitching. The yips for for me in pitching is either you either you get so shelled, so so wrecked in one single game, like what possibly happened to Mike Fultonevich with the Braves, right? That it completely throws off your ability to pitch, or in some cases you just lose it entirely. But basically, you can't pitch anymore. Something is wrong in your you know emotionally or mentally. But not physically, like the, the the body's still there, but you just can't make it happen. Yep. I I feel that. I mean, the Gibson players can be a lot of different things. Um, do you know who was the first person who came up with the, who had the yips? Oh, I used to know this. No way. I mean, I looked it up, and I hear Scraggs looking it up right now. So, originally coined by golfer Tommy Armour. Mm-hmm about putting and whenever i thought about the yips i always thought about chuck knoblock but apparently steve blass oh, there's chuck knoblock mackie sasser mark wollers jim presley john lester's picker pickoff move oh yeah um so here we are we have a what is he 36 35 daniel bard i think he's he's 35 he's old yeah uh, 35. He's 35 years old. Okay. Um, Henry, tell me about what your expectations of, of a 35-year-old who was throwing 97. Okay, so honestly, for a 35-year-old who hasn't pitched in seven years, I was totally expecting him to, like, throw low 90s and, like, give up a couple hits in the home runs, you know? And then we just cut him in spring training. But if he's made the team and he's throwing 97, might as well trot him out there and see how he works. And so far, he's been working out pretty fine. Yeah. What's really crazy to me is that he's actually got very good control of the velocity of his fastball. In one of his um, at-bats in his last outing, he threw three fastballs, three different speeds. Uh, and, yeah, I was I was watching the, the pitch counter, and oh, I forget who he was facing. This was in the series against the Athletics, the first game. He threw an 89 fastball. He threw an 88 fastball, and then he threw a 97 fastball. Sheesh. And the 97 and was fastball no was a strikeout. And there was no run on it or anything to make it a change. No. They were all wow. considered forcing fastballs. 
Okay, so in it's pretty incredible. Um, personally, like you got a, a guy who's thirty five who's throwing ninety seven, and he wasn't playing full games for the last what five years because he was, he was uh, coaching. He was mentoring or coaching. Uh, he was a player mentor in the Diamondbacks organization last year, but he hadn't played a major league baseball inning since 2013, April 27, 2013. Amazing. So what concerns me is he is throwing like lights out innings, and um, I'll always be kind of the critique guy. Um, so it was uh, I think it was the five one game where we had Daniel Bard throw. Was it two innings? Yeah. yeah. Why would you have Daniel Barr throw two innings? Um, I'm going to say it's probably a thing where they wanted to see if he can work out with two innings, and they had the off day anyways, so they could just put him at Coors Field for his next appearance anyways. Okay, so you're saying it's okay to put two innings if he has the off day. Right. He didn't... For For me, it's that... So he he put in the two innings, and he looked a little shaky at the start of the second inning, but then he pulled it back together, and he finished the inning with limited damage. And I'm not saying it should be like an everyday thing of like, oh, Jay, uh, Bart is going to be a, a two-inning guy, but it's more of that he's a one-inning guy, and if we absolutely need him to go two innings, then we can have him go two innings. Okay, so when's the next time you should pitch? Uh... With the off day, I'd be okay with him either pitching tomorrow or on Saturday. I agree. Hmm. I agree. Uh, Ideally, what I would like is for John Gray to throw at least six innings tomorrow. Okay. So, we need to do more on the bullpen, and then I want to transition into the whole starting situation, which is just perplexing me right now. But Daniel Bard threw two innings. You're okay with him pitching Friday and Saturday. Personally, I'm conservative. I'm scared. I don't want him pitching on Friday for some reason. Um, and I don't want him ever pitching more than, like, two innings, you know? I mean, yeah, that's two fair. innings is a lot for me. I would have I would have pulled him, like, his first sign of trouble in the second inning. And um, he's just – he's older. He could break at any second kind of thing. And you don't mess up something that is working. And if he's already had the yips once with control, like – don't put him in a situation where he has like a problem. Right. Pull him quickly. I think one of my concerns with him pitching two innings was that if he got too deep into trouble, it might, you know, bring back about some of those um, those issues. But another thing I was thinking about is um, what if it was leaving him in so he could get himself out of a jam to give him that moral boost of okay. I'm officially back. I can do this. I hear that argument. Yeah. Um, Henry, you'd say that's kind of Bud Black's philosophy, probably. I don't know. Here's, I don't know, because really, the mental side of the game is kind of hard to predict, so I can't really say anything on that, though I will say... You're choosing not to have an opinion? I, I'm sorry. This is the place where opinions don't matter. <laughs> Choosing not to have an opinion, that's like the most daring thing to do is just not have an opinion. Yeah. There's this rush over here. But seriously, I think that I actually kind of agree that him kind of getting out of that inning, that troubled inning there, was kind of might have probably done really like wonders for his yips. Like it may not come back for at least a little bit more due to the extra confidence okay. he gets. And I, and I think 
And I think that does, like you mentioned Bud Black, and I think that is part of uh, Buddy's coaching philosophy, is that he's very forgiving as a, as a manager when it comes to his pitchers. And I've, I think that can be detrimental sometimes because we've seen him leave people out on the mound for far too long. Yeah. But I think we've also seen that this is him trying to show his guys that he trusts them, that he has the confidence that they can work out of these issues. Right. Yeah, like, we've seen, of course, Bud Black just throw Brian Shaw out there for too long, or Jake McGee, right, not pulling him quickly, but on the flip side, people like Bard can be, like, trusted, you know? Like, you can put some trust in Bard, and then maybe his yips will never come back. I don't know, who knows? Or, like, if Jairo Diaz has one rough outing, he has enough trust in Jairo that he'll put him back out in a day or two and let him try and redeem himself from that. Right, right. So you guys trust in Bud Black? Yep. I do. Ooh. I was thinking you were going to, like, be wishy-washy on that. I'm I, I'm not, honestly. I have, of course, issues with Bud Black. No manager is perfect. But for the most part, I really do like what Bud Black has brought to the organization. And the, the team clearly loves him. He clearly gets along very well with everybody. I do like, for the most part, his coaching philosophies. I think Bud Black is a good manager. I agree. I would agree. And that's that's why, you know, after our unfortunate season last year, I was not saying we should fire Bud Black. Saying fire Breidich, you know, Breidich, whatever. Yeah, Breidich is a whole separate issue that I don't even think we have time to really talk about. Well, we'll we'll see if we can fit in the end. (laughs) So I am the contrarian on Bud Black because he doesn't know how to run an offense very well, in my opinion. You know, let's take an example. Um, who is a bad base runner on the team? Daniel Murphy. Yep. Right. Who should it be pinch run for? Daniel Murphy, Matt Kemp. And who was not pinch run for in an like what was an eight one game that we crushed the athletics in it was daniel murphy there was like i know it's early in the season you want to give people like some time but there was like an eight was it eight one i think this was the one before that the one before with a day game afterwards so either he was trying to just get those people to play since the day game was the next game or is this specifically the one where we had the great picture of daniel murphy lying flat on his face at first base or was that one of the Rangers games? I think it was the last Rangers game. Um, oh. Anyway, so it was 8-3 to on July 28th, and the next game was an afternoon game, the 29th. And when we look at the specific game, we have... Um, oh, no, it's, it's sorted by WPA. Anyway, Hilliard, Blackman, Arnauto, Tapia, Dahl, McMahon... Walter Story Murphy on the 28th game, which was the 8-3 game. On the 29th, it was Blackman, McMahon, Hilliard, uh, Hampson, Walters, Kemp, Murphy, Arnado, Owings, Story, and Dahl. And so Dahl got the day off, but, you know, Danny Murphy still played. So in my, like, what I'm concerned for is the season is so short why did he keep people in with a five-run lead in the eighth and the ninth? Yeah. Well, we saw that in the in the Rangers series too, 
And that that did bring up some question marks for me, where um, Bud does not necessarily like making substitutions unless he has to. Right. But um, now there's a DH. And I think without the pinch hitter, he's probably even going to be less likely to be making these substitutions. Yeah. And the substitutions are free. And you basically, with the DH, the offense always has an advantage. That's true. Because there's a DH. And before that, last year, you could have had, you know, um, oh, okay, so they're going to pinch hit this guy, so I'm going to, you know, I'm going to put this pitcher in to face that guy. That doesn't exist anymore. The pitcher's got to face three batters. So the offense has an even bigger advantage where you say, like, oh, look, there's a lefty who's got to face three batters. We could put a righty in here and a righty in here and a righty in here, and you automatically get something to go. And I don't see Bud Black doing that because I don't trust I mean, we do not offense. technically lose the the single batter specialist, but it's got to be at the end of the inning. There's got to be, like, two outs already, and they have to come in and get the last out. It's got to be very interesting. Um, I don't know. Like, I guess I'm the only person. I I'm very much offense focused. Henry, are you more like defense focused? Well, or? I was gonna say about this whole conversation, pinch hitting has been definitely a problem for Bud Black. Like, on the last Oakland game, we we faced Lozardo, which is a lefty, and I get he's pretty much good equally against both. But still, why would we pinch hit mm-hmm. uh, Owings over I don't know Fuentes Kemp? You know. I just it doesn't make sense at all. I feel like he doesn't know what he's doing with the offense, and we are definitely we're the first in the NL West right now. Right, you know that is that is amazing that we're first in the NL West, and by all means we should take a lot of pride in that. But since every game is what two point five games or something basically, right. you know, you have to be you know approaching every game as if they're every move you make is 2.5 times more important. So in my book, you don't have time to wait for slumps to end, which is, you know, a Bud Black thing. You don't have time to let the pitcher, you know, fix himself, which is a Bud Black thing. You don't have time to make false, like, substitutions. And if you do want to make some substitutions and give people time to, like, get their head straight, like Chris Owings, you put him in when you got a five-run lead and let him play the field and let him get some bats in. So... I, I know we're in first, but I'm I'm very concerned with a shortened schedule um, and having Bud Black. Yeah, I agree with that. But, uh, yeah, I just don't really find uh, his pinch hit smart. Like, I think he doesn't realize that pinch hitting just a regular position player, you can also just shift the defensive positions to. Like, for example, if we pinch hit Fuentes for Hilliard, of course he can't play left field, but he can play first base, and... McMahon could have just shifted to second and Hampson to left end and you'd all be good. What I would give Bud Black is the bullpen. Right. And now it's like, one of the reasons we hired Bud Black in the first place was he can handle pitchers really well. He can handle the bullpen really well. And it's been working so far. It's been working. and But the other thing is he doesn't have that three, he's got the three batter minimum, which now is just like, kind of playing into Bud Black's favor even because if you wanted to pull somebody early, you can't. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, the bullpen is, like, pretty darn solid right now, and one of my main, like, things with, like, 
not loving this team and trying to like boycott it was the fact that we, you know, we gave Brian Shaw a whole bunch of starts last season. I think I'm not sure if his option vested because of it, but we finally said, you know what, we're not going to do this anymore. McGee gone, Shaw gone, bullpen great. Oh, that was- Evan, thoughts on the bullpen? Well, apparently, just talking about Sean McGee real quick, apparently one of the reasons we jettisoned them uh, was that their options uh, had a chance to vest faster because of the shortened schedule. Where, like, because of the shortened schedule, they would have needed less games for their options to vest. But also, I am, I, I wish them the best. I hope they succeed wherever they go. Brian Shaw, not likely, considering how we saw him play in Seattle the other night. But I'm glad, I'm so glad they're gone. And I think some of these more interesting people that we have to fill in the bullpen spots, you know, Tyler Kinley and see more of Jairo Diaz and Carlos Estevez. I think the bullpen is going to be, at the very least, much less dreadful. I agree. Sure. Do you have any... um interesting tidbits about Taylor um, Kinley yet? Uh, came out of them. He's pitched for a bunch of different teams already, I believe. Oh, he had somebody on the on the um, side was like super happy that we got him. And I was like, really? He, he was most recently in the uh, farmhand with the Marlins. Uh, and he was originally with the Twins. The Twins is where he made his debut in 2018. Uh, and I don't believe that he ever made a major league appearance with uh, the Marlins. No, he made a few with the Marlins. Just um, yeah. so apparent. I think he was. He might have been a Rule Five pick. I'm glad we got him. Yeah. And I like him a lot. Uh, he's got some interesting stuff. Someone that I was really bummed to see opt out of the season was Tim Collins. Um, I think he showed some very good stuff in summer camp and in spring training. Um, but, but you know, you can't blame a guy for that. Right? Didn't he? Didn't he opt out? Am I am I misremembering that? No, he did just opt oh, out. Yeah. I understand though. I mean, the whole Marlins and Phillies and yeah. Cubs. Oh my. Yeah, I will. I will. I will never fault uh, fault somebody for opting out, especially in the in the year that we're having here in this delightful 2020. Um, but something I really do like about our bullpen is the fact that we still have uh, Jairo Diaz and Carlos Davis, and they can um, become more workhorse guys. I really do think they have that potential. And I know that I'm biased because I love Jairo uh, Diaz and Carlos Davis very dearly, but I really do think they have they have great stuff. Um, Estevez has the velocity. Jairo has a really good slider, mm-hmm. and they showed their abilities um, in the in the Rangers series, especially yeah. to work out of these jams. And they were jams of their own creation, but they got out of them with no well, damage. It's the, so like the I think Diaz, um, it was it was in the Athletics um, start, and you loaded the bases or something, right? Uh, I think that was the last game of the Rangers series. It was Diaz got out of a jam, and I remember getting like that update, and it was just, it was just great to see. And I, I have this weird feeling that both Diaz and um, Estevez are still actually going to start getting better. Right. I agree, because I definitely think it's more of the more playing time you get, and now that they're not being blocked by 
having to play these expensive, terrible relievers in Brian Shaw and Jake McGee that they can really shine. The the Oakland game for higher ideas, he's been in three out of our games so far. And on one inning, he faced six batters, and he allowed one hit and a walk. But he struck out two, and he has left on base percentage of 100% right now, so... It's crazy. We have a don't we have the the best ERA or something right now? In the NL, I believe. Uh the the team ERA right now is is very low. I know that in terms of total runs allowed, we have allowed the least runs to start a season in franchise history and currently have the best record in the league and that we've only allowed nine total runs in the five games that we've played. That's the only reason I don't want this year to be an asterisk. I mean, it should be an asterisk, but... Fair enough. It'd be really cool with the Rockies were good at pitching again. Um, I mean, you said the total team ERA, correct? Uh, total team runs is nine. I'm still trying to pull the team so, ERA Henry, right now. about starting pitching. Well, actually, if I want to bring up one thing about Jairo Diaz... Okay, talk to me about Jairo Diaz first. Well, on that last game, I believe, of Texas, where he did he loaded the bases, right? I think what he did yep. is he kind of threw his slider outside, but not really. It's kind of like almost a new pitch, and that kind of caused a lot of these batters to strike out, and I think that's kind of amazing that he can like switch his, like, switch his uh, strategy so quickly and then get out of these jams. I mean, it, somebody must be saying something, right? Yeah. Um, so we got Jairo Diaz, and we got Daniel Bard, and we got Carlos Estevez, um, Taylor Kinley, Wade Davis had a 1-2-3 uh, start, which was crazy. Amazing. Um, Scott Oberg is out right now still, but if he comes back, that's a solid, you know, couple of guys. But you gotta get him there, and one of the ways to get them there is by having decent starting pitching. And we've only had to have four starters so far, but... I mean, talk to me about our starters, Henry. Okay, so we all know how good Marquez is. Marquez has been amazing. Like, yep. like of course I could talk about him now, but he nearly no-hit the Rangers, and we should have totally won that game, but we didn't. So, but whatever, you know. But his second start with against the A's, he gave up that one home run, and then after that he was pretty much lights out, and it's just beautiful to have an ace that dominant, you know. I hear you. Yeah. Um, we we trust Herman Marquez, even though like, I was kind of worried about him getting his groove back, and he's already there. Oh yeah. Eleven point two innings pitched. One point five four ERA. Two point eight one FIP. Two point seven eight xFIP. Point four WAR in two games. Yeah. His K percentage is thirty percent. Sheesh. Yeah, he's already he's already got fourteen, with an ERA plus of two sixty eight, and he's only allowed the two runs total in two appearances. He really has, you know, it looks like he hasn't missed a step. Where he's that first game against the Rangers to start the season, that was a game that we should have won. He pitched really well. The bullpen pitched really well, and you know the offense let him down. And then once the offense started clicking, it works so well in tandem with our starters actually having these good performances. And everybody's had, 
you know, a shorter performance than we probably would have liked. As we, we figured that was going to happen to start the season. Um, people aren't really stretched out. It's really weird situation where a lot of teams, we've only been seeing guys go, you know, four or five innings versus six plus. Uh, I believe the only uh, starter in the first go round to have a complete quality start at six innings was Kyle right. Freeland. Um, I want to talk about Kyle Freeland in a second, but do you guys think that the four to five innings is just because we're trying to be careful with them stretching out, or is it a new strategy where the Rockies are like, we're going to have you have really good innings for four to five innings, and then we're just taking you out? I'm thinking it's more of um, we're trying to stretch him out still, because Marquez went um, six plus in his second start. And I, I really do think it is, because a lot of other teams, as we're hitting their second go-around through the rotation, we're seeing their starters are going yeah. longer. And I think that's just sort of how it is, because nobody really had time to fully stretch out uh, their starters. Right. That's why it was it was really, um, when Lance Lynn threw over 100 pitches, I remember the announcers were like, huh, they haven't taken him out yet. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. Um trying to find the the pitch count for Herman. He went 5.2 in his first, you know. Yep. They took him out at, like, the last out. So, he was close. Um, but I feel like the, the, our pitch counts have been higher, too. Oh, definitely. Like, John Gray, he didn't really last that long, even though he was pretty good, just mm-hmm. too many pitches. I was still pretty impressed with him, though. Yeah. I mean... Everybody was injured last year, and now they're kind of healthy. Um, so are you excited about John Gray, Henry? Well, John Gray, like, in 2018, I believe he was, like, not that good, but then last year he did pretty damn good. So I'm really hoping that he could use 2019 rather than 2018. But uh, mm-hmm. after the first start, like, I, I got put his trust in him. He's, like, he still got some strikeouts as needed. He got the outs as we wanted, right? And I'm just going to say that he only left early just because we're careful with his pitches that's it and then maybe later in the season he'll be you know making more quality starts just like marcus so so some a quick quick couple of sobering stats right now harman marquez's bab is is 0.185 it's so he's gonna allow some hits but his home run he allowed a home run so his earned run average was basically because of a home run that's true you know, and then John Gray's sobering stat is his K percentage is fifteen point eight percent. Oh yeah, I think that's going to. I mean, it's definitely one of those. You know, it's, it's, just a, all, it's a small sample start, size. Start, but at the same time, you don't have anything but a small sample size this season. We got nothing else to talk about. Oh yeah. But I, I, I think it's all going to be on. We need to see how John Gray pitches tomorrow. We need to see how uh, Kyle Freeland pitches on Saturday. I'm concerned about John uh, Gray because, because his XFIP is 5.64 and his ERA is 1.93. I'm concerned. But it's been one game, one short sure. game. Sure. I think he only went like 4.2 yeah, yeah, innings. 4.2 innings, and this is the smallest of sample size. We have nothing else to talk about. He also only had 23% of ground ball. Which I think John's yeah. okay. I'm, I really hope so. And these are small sample size. We have nothing else to talk about. His walk percentage was 
Again, these are really small sample sizes. Nothing else to talk about. Right. Um, Evan, tell me about Antonio Sensatella. Sensatella had a really interesting start on the uh, 28th versus the Athletics, where he was not particularly efficient. Uh, I believe his was the, it was either first inning or second inning where he threw like 34 pitches. Um, and he was clearly trying to hit his groove. He got a couple strikeouts, which is more than you could say about him last year. And his breaking pitches, he was making them work. Hmm. Um, <clears throat> pardon me. So he pitched uh, for five total innings. He gave up uh, two earned runs on six hits. He walked three and he struck out three. I'd love to see that walk percentage go down because currently sitting uh, at a BB9 of 5.4. Which is identical as SO9 of 5.4. He didn't allow a single home run, which was uh, one of his issues and issues plaguing the uh, Rockies rotation as a whole last season. And I think if he can build off that start and be a little bit more efficient, because we know that he's got these these developing breaking pitches, specifically this curveball that he's been working on, in addition to his changeup and his slider, that. Um, if he can start putting people away more efficiently, especially with the strikeouts, like getting the strikeout percentage up is hugely important mm-hmm. to him because last year he couldn't buy a it's strikeout. It's true. It's, it's not a strong suit, but hopefully Antonio Sensatella gets together. Um, I know you were excited about Kyle Freeland. I mean, I am a Kyle Freeland guy. I mean, we're all Kyle yeah, Freeland what guys. What can I say? But like, uh, how, how surprised uh, he, were you? I didn't think that his first start back was going to go as well as it did. He didn't strike out that many. He struck out five, which is fine, but he's not necessarily a strikeout pitcher. What I really enjoyed seeing was that he had very good control. Um, He did walk a few guys, but the umpiring was a little all over the place, and a lot of those walks were on borderline pitches. He lives um, on those borderline specifically, pitches. Specifically, I, I saw a couple of those pitches, and like, that is exactly where the pitch should go. And what I really what I really like is his, um, his change delivery. So uh, I'm sure everybody knows, but Kyle Freeland coming into the season has changed the way he, he pitches. So he used to have a little bit of a stutter step hesitation on his, um, I don't know, kicking, right. or whatever you call it, when he threw the ball. But he's eliminated that to a point where he doesn't have the stutter step. It's just a straight-up leg kick deliver from his plant leg. That was readable, And right? I think it looks a lot cleaner. Like, his overall pitching motion, his arm slot's the same, and um, his delivery is very similar. But it looks cleaner. It looks smoother. And I think that he's going to have an easier time with it as a whole without having to do any hesitation or stutter step of going thought to pitch to delivery and there it is and he went six innings he had a very good start of uh, only allowed four hits uh two earned runs he did give up a home run um but you know that is going to happen i believe that was the home run against joey uh giving up joey Joey gallo it's really good analysis though um not having a like a, a more of a couple more seconds to think about what could go wrong um, I'm just going to quickly just say Yancy Almonte is actually uh, a good pitcher, right? Oh, yeah. Okay. time. All right. Um, and then Wade Davis was pretty good. This has been um, a lot of pitching for – got to take a quick break, and then we're going to talk about 
the batting and then we'll see if the Rocks can keep this up. So we'll see you guys after the break. games for yep. us five so like we don't we haven't even made it to the second hand of games so all this is just like you know maybe we can just like take a second and like man in 2020 the rockies were the first place in the nl west beautiful and then realize there was five yeah. games <laughs> it was what's surprising about these five games um i'm not actually sure if i'm actually surprised by it or not but um there is a super small sample size. Um, a person who has had 22 plate appearances in five games, um, one Nolan Arenado, is... Uh, this is most interesting. Do you guys know what Nolan Arenado's ISO is, according to fan graphs this year? I would not know. It is point zero zero zero. Jeez. So, from what I can tell, that is zero extra base hits, basically. Yeah. I don't know. The thing is, like, I'm liking that. I don't know. He still has a 318 OBP despite the 222 batting average. So at least he's walking. But like, when it's when he's not walking, he seems to be like hitting like some of the worst pitches. Not really anything you actually want to swing at. And just kind of. I remember the last Oakland game. I think he just like one time he just like swung first pitch, flied out, and kind of just killed the rally we had going. Then we still won, but it was kind of annoying. Yeah. No, he's. He's had a lot of pop outs, and I'm, I'm sure he's going to be working on that. But and again, this is 22 plate right. appearances. What's interesting is his walk percentage is 13.6, which is probably way better than average for him. Um, and his strikeout percentage is only 9.1, but like he's he's not hitting the ball well at all. Um, yeah, he's only struck out twice, which is a lot less than pretty much everybody else on the team i think we'll, we'll get into but, the team strikeouts let's focus on nolan for a second did you guys see that error that he had was that really an error it was the he was uh he's charging and it was third base and i think he tried to throw home um to nab a guy at home and he just he just couldn't even grab the ball and he's oh and he just seems something seems off about nolan do you guys feel that I'm not a good judge of what should be an error versus what shouldn't. And I also, you know, it's the same thing of it's an incredibly small sample size where, you know, there's still, despite it being a short season, there's still you know, 55 games left to play. And it could just be that he's having a hard time finding his groove outside of intra-squad games. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
Um, I mean, sure. I mean, everybody's got slumps, and everybody comes into things different ways, and it's 2020, and I don't know, like, maybe there's something else going on besides the whole fact he's feuding with Bridish because Bridish doesn't, you know, never really apologized, and is there even a need for apology, and what even is Bridish doing now because he didn't do anything, and now we're winning, and so... For me, I think there's a lot of, like, a there's a tempest in Nolan's brain right now. It's like, okay, I'm supposed to hate this team because they did nothing to help me, and I'm supposed to leave this team, but I like Chuck, and I like Trev, and we're winning, and the pitching is good. And now I'm not doing my part, and I'm over-aggressive, and I'm not my, like, defensive self. So what the hell is going on with Nolan Arno, Arnauto in it's five games? It's still yeah. five games. Um, what I thought was interesting, I mean, again, it's been it's been five games. Um, Nolan Arnaud's walk percentage in 2013 was 4.5 percent, and then he made it to five in 2014 and 15, and then he made it up to 10 in the 16 and 17. He's usually kept it to that. Now he's at 13.6 in in 22 plate appearances. You know, this the super small small sample size, but his K percentage is less than 10 on a super small sample size. And I'm not sure if you guys would prefer that he, you know, strike out more and try to get more, you know, power or keep the walks high or, or what what do you what's going on with Nolan Arnauto? I think he's really like trying to adopt the Dave Magadan approach where you're taking a bunch of pitches and seeing what works out for you, but with Nolan I think he's just he's got that part down where he's he has been walking and he's been striking out less, but for getting an actual pitch to hit, right, he needs to get his head on straight for that again it seems like he's kind of okay yeah. tell me more about the that approach now i'm gonna just say the dave magadan approach as in like how he's literally hit in when he was playing where he was a high average guy high on base guy i believe just gonna confirm that real quick yeah he hit 288 in his career that was pretty good yeah, and a 390 obp yeah mm-hmm. so and i mm-hmm. think that's probably like i didn't obviously didn't watch him play i wasn't even born by the time he ended his career, fun fact. <laughs> but, uh... Oh, yeah. <laughs> but Magadan just always seemed to be a guy where he's just... I'm gonna predict... I'm gonna assume that he was a guy who just took as many pitches as he could until he got that kind of base hit, and it's been working for people like mm-hmm. David Dahl at the start of the season. He kind of cooled off in Oakland, but, you know. But, uh... Yeah, I think just... Evan Arnado needs to do that. Evan, do you see like that whole like that whole like walk scenario, take more pitches scenario playing out for the Rockies right now? I think it's complicated because I the ability to draw a walk and be patient at the plate and make the opposing pitcher actually throw, it's it's something that's worked out so far where we've made the uh, the starters throw a lot of pitches. And we're drawing walks. Uh, Team walks are at 21 right now. But it's not an approach that's working for everybody because we've also struck out a lot. I mean, team strikeouts are already at 50. So in five games, we're averaging 10 strikeouts a game. And we've seen that for, for some of the younger guys, this approach is a little all over the place. And for even some of the older guys, we've seen some very ugly at-bats where either they're not trying to be patient or they are trying to be patient it's just not working. And Ryan McMahon had a few where um, definitely some bad umpiring 
um, caused him to strike out looking. He had that one in the Texas series where he took five pitches, none of which were in the strike zone, and he uh, uh, called out looking. But you can't help but look at Ryan McMahon struck out nine times, Sam Hilliard nine times, uh, Daniel Murphy six and Tapia five. Uh, and a lot of our more stalwart guys who we know for having more patient approaches like, uh, like David Dahl and Tony Walters, they've only got like two strikeouts, three strikeouts. And then Nolan, who's been more patient this year has the two, has only two strikeouts, but he's also really not done much in terms of actually putting the ball into play. He has no extra base hits. He has four total hits in, uh, 18 at bats. And I think that, it's not necessarily a style that works for everybody, but I think it could be made to work. I think Nolan's issue is that he, when he chooses the pitch that he swings at, he's got to choose it better and put as good a wood on the ball as he possibly can. I, I think it's just going to take some time um, to really like help it play out. Um, I'm just I'm just curious if, that's how it's actually going to work this year. It's like, cause we've been driving on pitchers way earlier. Way oh, yeah. earlier. Um, the concerning stats about not doing this approach is, you know, uh, everybody's adopted a player, you know, by this time in the Rockies existence, uh, I've adopted Ryan McMahon, Evan, I know. Why don't you tell me who your player you adopted is? Garrett yeah, Hampson. Henry. My boy. Um, I don't know. I'm still deciding on that. I'm more of a prospect guy, so what? yeah, I'm more of a prospect guy. Yeah. Oh. So I. The young life. He guy. is the prospect he guy. Prospect. Um. So here's my problem. I love Ryan McMahon. I think he could do great things, but he also struck out um 43 percent of the time in those five games. And I just, uh, that doesn't seem. But then think about the series that he had in Oakland. Yeah, but his BABIP's 400 in, you know, 21 plate appearances. It means nothing, but... Rymac is already... That's one of the things that makes it very hard to talk about baseball baseball at the beginning of the season, even in a regular Mm -hmm. season. It's like, it's been five games. Right. The sample size is so incredibly small and could change at a moment's notice to the point where, you know, in two weeks, Ryan McMahon could have hit five home runs. You know, but this this is, right now, this is the second week of the season. This is two weeks done. It's true. You know? So, I mean, we don't have anything else to say except for, like, in two weeks of a season, basically, because five games equals two weeks now, he's striking out 43% of the time. You know who else is a regular starter who's striking out at 37.5% of the time? Daniel Murphy. (laughs) Oh, man. Yeah, I've been waiting for this good Daniel Murphy that we were promised from summer camp. And he's had like some small flashes, like during the Texas series, he had some, some really cool plays at first base, but I'm not seeing it. I'm not seeing him having elevated his play from last year to the point where he should be starting at first base every day. Like he has been. And the other problem is I think one of the, the biggest issue on the team currently, because everything else is kind of, it'll be stable, whatever. You know, Chris Owens isn't a starter, but he's around, and Garrett Hampson's going to find some playing time. 
Red Knight's going to find some playing time, but what do you do with Rhino Tapia? Tapia's been weird because when they're not starting him in the outfield, they're starting him at DH, and he is not what anyone would call a prototypical DH player. He doesn't steal bases. He doesn't hit for power. His, um, so this is the smallest of sample size. He's played four games and 13 plate appearances. How many digits does his weighted runs created plus have? One. He has a five weighted runs created plus. Tough. Oof. It's been 13 plate appearances. You can't say anything about that, but she does strike out about 40% of the time. And, you know, the good old saying, there was never a pitch that Toppy didn't like. Right. What Tapia reminds me of is, remember how Cargo, his kryptonite pitch was a slider on the outside corner in the dirt? There's no way Cargo's not swinging that pitch. He always swung at that Mm -hmm. pitch. Tapia is like that, but with every other pitch. He'll swing at anything. If the ball's coming at him, he's going to swing at it. And that's something, he's gotten a little bit better, but at the same time, I feel like he's not improving with his plate discipline enough. I don't think... And I love Rymel Tapia. Really cool guy. Does a lot for his community. Yeah, the work ethic is clearly there. His um, his fielding and defense has gotten better. His route running has gotten better. And he, he's bulked up and he's trying to put more power in his at-bats. But none of that matters if you're swinging at every possible pitch thrown your a way. A lot of baseball is mental. And is your brain good enough to discern between pitches? Uh, Henry, why else is it weird that uh, Rymel Tapia's a DH? Okay, I'm just going to say this. First of all, in all honesty, I think Tapia would have been DFA'd by now if we didn't have expanded rosters. Yeah. Because, hmm. like, I get he's a lefty, but, you know, we have, like, a million lefties on this team anyways. You know that. Every single outfielder yep. is a lefty. But, uh, yeah, really he's only on the roster and with just the for that. DFA, And with the DFA of Jake McGee and Brian Shaw, anything's probable, right? right? But uh, but why is it weird that Toppy is DH? Well, I mean, honestly, like I know his like other defensive metrics were not that like other were pretty bad, but apparently on MLB like Baseball Savant they're pretty good, and I'd much rather have him in the outfield hmm. over Charlie Black I'm over Charlie Blackman and put Blackman at DH. But I think with Bl- the only reason why Toppy has been more of a DH than Blackman is just simply because Blackman doesn't want to be a DH. And Tapia is just wanting to get the at bats. I hear you. I I don't know what you gotta tell Charlie Blackman um, to get him to be a DH. We'll give you some new fishing equipment. Oh, okay, that's it. And then five five Gs. <laughs> yeah, I mean. What's really interesting, and you're talking about how all of our outfielders are um, lefties, the only one who's not, who's been playing more outfield recently, is Garrett Hampson. Who made that awesome save, oh, yeah. too, which he's a short yeah, guy. Left I did field. not see that coming. And what's, what's really odd is that they've been putting him in left field more than center, which he stereotypes more to because he's, his he's arm is not good. very speedy and athletic. But his arm isn't that good. It's been consistently David Dahl in center field. I think we're giving Dahl as many um, opportunities as possible in center field, so he actually yeah. learns better. Which he absolutely, which he absolutely deserves. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I love Charlie Blackman. I hate not seeing him in the outfield. But at this point, I do have to agree that he is who should be DHing instead of Ryan Tapia. Right. The outfield should be 
Tapia in right and Dahl in center and Hampson and Hilliard in left or however you want to arrange that. From the games I've seen, I've actually been, um, yeah, we should have Blackman in there. But the things like there's certain eye tests. Um, I know I kind of set you guys up for the whole Blackman thing. But there's been like a couple of balls that Blackman has cut off really well. I mean that is true. There's been like two or three. There's been two or three plays where like that should have been a double and Blackman cut it off. Which means that I, you should have Daniel Murphy at DH. But I don't think Daniel Murphy's hitting well enough to be at DH. But I, mean, I don't Tapia think anybody is hitting is. well enough either. So. It's why it would be so easy to, like, you know, have anybody who's just, like, really good at hitting and put them at the DH for the next, you know, year or two. Oh, you mean Matt Kemp? Matt Kemp's not hitting well enough yet. <laughs> I don't know. Like, we... Oh, he's hitting better than Chris Owings. Well, we, we, we're a team who loves giving false hope, you know? The whole scenario with, like, you're... I mean, we give false hope. We we trade people mid-game, and we say we're going to give you a big contract. We give contracts to everybody else. I don't know. There's the whole Baldo Jimenez talk. Um, Chris Ongs is a negative 100 weighted runs created plus, by the way. I didn't know that was possible. And has had some of the ugliest at-bats I've ever seen. And I love him. I don't know why, but he, he's had six plate appearances. Well, he's another guy where in summer camp he looked really oh, yeah. good. And that's how he earned that roster spot. I don't know. Um, we're this weird part where we can't really we can't really change anything yet. And the, when the roster crunches come, I mean, Sam Hilliard, let, let's pivot to Sam Hilliard because, you know, somebody should be DHing between Charlie Blackman and Taylor Murphy. But neither of them are, you know, that good. And Tapia apparently is okay on the outfield with baseball savant, but he's still not that good. And we got the Sam Hilliard guy who, you know, just hit a bomb the other day. Evan, what what do you got about Sam Hilliard? Sam Hilliard, I think, just not even looking at the numbers, but just looking at visually how he was to start where he was with the the golden sombrero in the first game in Texas where he struck out four times. He struck out nine times. It's really taken him a while to heat up. Mm-hmm. But I think the issue is that he needs consistent playing time in order to heat up because we've seen how good he can be um, in September last year. And we've seen how much he can crush the ball. But at the same time, you know, in 13 at-bats, he's got three total hits. He just looks the part. Oh, yeah. He really does. And I we, we all wanted him so badly, too, while we had his dad out there in Texas mm-hmm. to just be mashing the cover off the ball. And that didn't happen. But then in Oakland, he started putting it together. Mm-hmm. And I think the thing is that we need to keep putting him out there in order for him to keep warming up, because I really do believe that yep. Hilliard's got the stuff. Mm-hmm. But then the issue comes to, again, well, then who doesn't go? Because it's not Dahl. Dahl's yep. got to start every day. Right. So you have three lefties in the outfield, and Blackman, Dahl, and Hilliard. And then you've also got Rymel Tapia. 
and I know Evan's going to try to do something, but Henry, what do you do in a scenario that... You, are you playing Hilliard every day? Um, no, I'm going to still probably stick with the platoon for now, honestly. Like, But then again, you and do want to get him some lefty experience, but... But who platoons? Who platoons? Garrett Actually, Hampson. yeah, Garrett Hampson, totally. That's the answer. I mean, I have not seen nearly enough Hampson. I mean, but in a serious way, yeah, Hampson, because he also, like Hilliard, needs four at-bats. Like, he really hit well to end off the season last year, and so far this season, he's doing pretty damn good. So, why not give him mm-hmm. more platoon at-bats, you know? Garrett Hampson has eight plate appearances. Yeah. That's not enough. It's, it's even even in only five games, it's not enough. And, and we've had run, weird things where it's like you, we're, we're putting in Chris Owings, we're putting in Matt Kemp, we put in oh, Drew yeah. Butera. Do you remember when we put frickin' Chris Owings to pinch run? Do you remember that where Chris Owings? That was so run? bizarre. Because Chris... Owings is not a bad base runner, and he's fairly quick, right. but he's not Garrett Hampson, which is why is... I don't trust Bud Black. Because Garrett Hampson has that Trevor Story speed. Who are the two fastest guys on the team? It's Trevor Story and Garrett exactly. Hampson. Tapia follows them this up, but he's a terrible this base This is runner. not spring training anymore. This is not summer training anymore. Put the people in on what their roles are supposed to be. Let Garrett Hampson know you, you can't get caught and you got to right. score. And I just, I'm, I'm very frustrated in the fact that, like, yes, we're in first, but, like, there are super simple mistakes. Like, if, if you put in the right guys and the wrong thing happens, that's not a problem, you know? If you put in Garrett Hampson and for some reason he trips, okay. But you put in Chris Owings to pinch run. You didn't pinch run Daniel Murphy. These are simple things that other managers do all the time because it's like they know how to run an offense. And Bud Black just seems like a, a nice guy who knows how to, like, handle pitching. Then just... It frustrates me because for some reason it actually seems like we have potential this year. And again, smallest is small sample size. It's been five games. But when the season is so short, we need things to be firing on all cylinders at all times. The stretch never stops. Exactly. There is is no time like, well, let's try this out for size. No, do it. Um, And like when the the roster crunch comes, I don't want to see Garrett Hampson be a casualty of that when for some reason we're carrying three catchers. And that's what I wanted to ask you. That's the exact next question. Where the hell is Elias Diaz? I don't... I think... Has he even come into a single he has game? zero plate appearances. He's zero appearances. Why the... Why do you carry three catchers and you don't even play one? And you don't even pinch hit for him when you have a five-run lead in the... It was, it was Tony Walters already had a couple of bats and it was a five-run lead... And you had him take another one rather than Elias Diaz having an in-game at bat. I don't understand Bud Black. I don't trust him. I feel like we finally have a team that's kind of like has some potential. And I don't, I just worry we're going to be poorly managed. Oh, yeah. I mean. That, oh, yeah, seems like it's like I an agree. agreement. Do you have an opinion? Okay. Uh, do you have an opinion? Well, <laughs> First of all, I really like Elias Diaz. Like, I really, like, I really want him to get at bats, and I'm gonna assume that Butera's only been coming in because he had a really good su- summer camp. But with that said, mm-hmm. so did Elias Diaz, right? So, 
why aren't we giving him any at-bats? Especially when we faced Lazardo, we just kept Walters in. And maybe I got that for mm -hmm. maybe like just to keep the same catch for Marquez. But when he came up the second time, he still didn't get pinch hit. But then again, I'm complaining about Bud Black substituting again. He just... We can't substitute. Yeah. He doesn't know how to substitute. He just trusts people. He's like, okay, I said it at the beginning of the game. I'm done. You know? So there's been five games, four of them Tony Walters start, one start from Beatriz Butera. Yeah. I mean, normally, I, I get it, you know, Tony Walters is the catcher, and weirdly enough, he's been barreling the ball, he's just been getting really unlucky. However, you have three catchers, Where's... and one can hit for yeah. power. And, and Tony, something interesting about Tony is that he is currently the league leader in hardest hit balls. So he is hitting them so hard but just right into the fielder's mitt. Or right foul. Oh, yeah. Um, why don't we just do a quick summary of what's gone on so far. Um, the bullpen is good. Daniel Bard is apparently pretty good. The lack of signings has been pretty good. We don't know what's going on in Northern his head. Something's going on. Sam Hilliard is supposed to be really good. But the real problem is Bud Black's management, which I've heard some agreement to, but also you guys still like Bud Black, so I don't know what to do about that. Um, we got the whole DH situation. Um, let me just ask you, you know, where do you see Ryan Altapio in, in four weeks? Um, I honestly don't think he's going to get as much hit-bats as he has been. Like... I, I don't know, maybe I'm a little too pessimistic over Tapia, but with what he's swinging, he's still swinging at the same garbage pitches, and I don't think that's going to be improving anytime soon, and especially in a 60-game season where these games really matter way more than did in a 162-game season. I think you just see Tapia not quite DFA'd if there's still roster room, but you're going to see him get a significant decrease in at-bats, especially when, like, Brendan Rodgers is coming up, for example. Evan, Tapia, and you want to like segue into some Rogers talk before we got to go? Oh, the issue with Tapia is that if he continues playing like he is now, then he has no, no place starting in the outfield period and starting as the DH period. Put someone in a DH, give Hampson his starts in the outfield, and figure something out. Because the issue is, I, I love Rymel Tapia. We've been over this. But at this point, right now, he is taking up a roster spot while our supposed number one prospect is on the satellite team. Tell me more about that. Uh, when is it going to be time for Brendan Rogers? It's not like we're, because... we already brought him up last year. We could have wasted an option. We could have like saved an option, but not even bringing him up last year. We could have always not like not gotten Daniel Murphy or something like that. and could have done this whole other thing, but, but what are your thoughts on Brendan Rogers? We have too many, middle infielders to start with. We have Ryan McMahon and Trevor Story and Garrett Hampson and Chris Owings, all who play middle infield. And Brandon Rogers is not with the big league club. And Chris Owings. And he's our number one prospect. And he's been our number one prospect for like four years now. Like how else do you frustrate a guy? You know, like... But I think the issue is also that in his 
very short time with the Major League roster last year. He did not exactly impress while also playing hurt, was shut down for season-ending shoulder surgery, rehabbed it, and then during spring training and during summer camp did not particularly impress anyone either. So is Brennan Rogers supposed to be on the team right now, Evan? I would have started yeah. the season with him on the team. And you would have started him on second base. Started him at second base and then Hampson platooning in the outfield with Daniel Murphy as the almost daily DH and Ryan McMahon playing first base every day. Henry. Yeah, that's exactly what I would go with. But uh, with Brendan Rodgers, really, I think it's just the same thing as Sam Hilliard. You just got to get him at bats. Like, I know there's no minor leagues uh, this year, but he just has nothing else to prove in AAA. And I think right now, maybe he's still rehabbing a little bit. I'm not sure. Or if it's just service time. But we got to bring him up and get him at bats. I mean, that's fair. I mean, we don't exactly know the nature of his injury, but he was in summer training camp. And he is your number one prospect. And so what he comes down to is, I mean, this is all a bunch of opinions about some guys who love baseball. And um, I would trade Daniel Murphy and Ryan Tapia for, like, a scented candle from Dollar General. You know, it doesn't even have to smell like the thing it is. You give me Summer Breeze and it smells like, like winter itch or something I don't care (laughs) what I want is I want the best second baseman possible playing second base and the guy who's not doing that can be DH well I mean his name was DJ LeMay oh yeah I forgot about that oh so so here's like the thing we're going to kind of try to segue out on is has Jeff Bradish learned his lesson Maybe. It's an interesting question. Henry. Well, he did cut the guys that like have been giving us problems, right? Like Sean McGee. I'm so when we cut him, I'm actually kind of glad he admitted his mistakes there. But also, he did nothing, absolutely nothing in the off season. So, were there words that Jeff Bradich said when he cut them? I'm just. Curious. I don't think so. But cutting them at least. I don't you know. know. See, my thing is that I don't think Breitich cut Shaw and McGee from a, per- a performance situation. Otherwise, they would have been cut last year. I think it became a financial thing where it's, oh, crap, I'm going to have to pay these guys even more money if That's I play so them this season. Let me just read you a quick headline from usatoday.com. usatoday.com from July 18th, 2020. Colorado Rockies admit defeat in a $106 million bullpen disaster. I mean, they still got Wade Davis. Yeah. Um, let's see, what was it? It was way back in the day, they quoted him, the aggressiveness in the bullpen, especially this offseason, fits with a grander plan about our pitching. Just adding the level of talent, the level of impact, and trying to do so in waves. Not just one guy here, but one guy there, GM Jeff Bradish said at the time. And then let's see. There are a lot of examples, not just in the bullpen, but in our recent history and deeper in our his- your history, where players have come in here on free agent contracts and done very well. Brad said, "There's histories of guys on our team and on other teams coming in on free agent contracts and having some good seasons, having some really good seasons, and struggle times during seasons as well." 
So I don't think there are any huge lessons that we're going to take and drastically move in one direction because we said goodbye to Jake and Brian. There are so many huge lessons <laughs> you could take. Oh, man. That is... Like that they were bad. They're, I mean, you did the right thing, but you said the wrong thing. Okay, yeah, that changes my mind right there. Jeff Bridge is still dumb... Dumb... I'm trying not to. I'm trying to keep this a nice, like, family-friendly podcast. Sometimes, but man, you, like you're literally saying you did the wrong thing, and you don't say you did it. That's like a. That's like a. That's a Trumpism. Yep. You're, just, you're just like saying, "Well, I didn't do that," but you literally did that. We don't have to learn any lessons, Evan. And it's like what's frustrating. What's frustrating is cutting Brian Shaw and cutting Jake McGee was the right decision. And I would even say not cutting Wade Davis was the right decision because 2008 Wade Davis was great and 2019 Wade Davis was bad. So maybe 2020 Wade Davis can be better again. And he's shown that he's definitely shown improvement in the two outings that we've seen he's, so far. He needs a shorter schedule and less work. And now you have Scott yes. Oberg just, you know, play the play the odds if he comes back. I think it was Henry telling me that even last year he had an ERA of, of dead zero coming yep. off of four days rest. I mean, you if you rest the guy who's older more, when Ober comes, I can be fine. But the overarching theme is every time I try to forgive Breidich, you know, for cutting him, he makes note that it wasn't a mistake. Yeah. No, and Jeff Breidich is a bad general manager, and Jeff Breidich Absolutely. needs to go. And that is the rock pile pop. <laughs> I'm not going to completely end it there, but man, do I want to. I mean, like, like this entire team is doing well because of pieces that Jeff Bradish had nothing to do with. And as soon as you remove anything that Jeff Bradish did, except for Herman Marquez, which probably some scouts said, I don't care what you do, just get Herman Marquez. Everything is better when Jeff Bradish's pieces aren't around. I mean, it's very much of a succeed in spite of versus yeah. succeed because of. Which, now that in the, we're in first place, we kind of have to take a look back and say, are we really a first place team? Potentially. Potentially is the yeah. right answer. I don't know, actually, I'm sorry. I wouldn't say a right answer. You all have your opinions and I have my opinion, I would say. Potentially is a really great answer that yeah. I agree with. But it is... Not. But if if we are outside of Herman Marquez, it is not because of Jeff Breidich. Uh, I mean, what would have to happen for me to tell you that Jeff Breidich was the right guy is him to... He didn't even say it. Like, all you do is say, yeah, Jake and Brian were not the right pieces here, and I'm glad we say goodbye to them, and we're better moving forward. He couldn't even say that. He couldn't even just to say, like, you know, this is better for the team, and just like, no, we didn't make any mistakes whatsoever. He, because he's a robot. Yeah. He's a robot. I've said this before, and I'll say it again. Jeff Breidich is a robot. Okay, so basically we need... If, if Matt Kemp and Chris Owings turn out to be even, like, 1.5 war players, I'm not even sure how war is going to work in this small sample size season, then maybe Jeff Breidich started to do something yeah. right. Yeah. But and, and, if, and if that's true, that's great, but we've yet to see it. You know, and something else I... The overarching theme of the season also is going to be, can we keep Nolan Arenado? And one of the ways you could have kept Nolan Arenado is would be literally go out in public and say, 
I'm sorry about Jake McGee and Brian Shaw. They didn't work out how I planned. We're going a different direction. It seems to be working yeah. out well. But he didn't do that. And so because Jeff Breidich cannot go out... Or, and, you know, Breidich apologizing that to Nolan, which easier, he never yeah. did. This whole thing just kind of seems like we're going to have, you know, Brendan Rodgers at second and, you know, Ryan McMahon at third. Yeah. And even now, after everything, still all anybody talks about when talking about the Rockies is the turmoil with Jeff Reddich and Nolan Arenado. Months later, after all of the crazy, wacky bullshit that's happened in 2020, that's still the main talking point. You go on Twitter and everyone's going, so who's going to trade for Nolan Arenado? Nolan Arenado to the Cardinals. The Rangers announcers saying that they should trade for Nolan Arenado. It's all anyone still talks about. And I'm about. sure you'd entertain all those trades, and I'm sure we're going to hear them, and I'm sure we're going to get fleeced, and then Jeff Bradish will never admit that he did anything wrong. Because he's a bad GM. Um, but then... I mean, if, if I was the owner, if I'm the owner of the Colorado Rockies, if I am one of the Monfords in a logical world the moment that you find out that Jeff Redditch got into Nolan Arenado's face and started screaming at him is the moment he is fired right, yep. and that is kind of the whole turmoil with Nolan Arenado he, this is a small sample size but he does not look like Nolan Arenado you know and if he succeeds, it'll be, you know, in spite of the feud he has. And if he's not playing well, you will have to wonder, is this because he doesn't want to be here? Even if we're playing well as a team, you know, he can always, he could find any team in the world and I will be there with him, you know. Literally any Major League Baseball team right. would want Owen Arnott. We'll get fleeced. As much as their fans will go, he's not the best third baseman. Oh, his success is only because of Coors uh -huh. Field. Yep. They all want it. And the other thing is, like, it's an opt-out, so it doesn't matter. It's an opt-out, so you've got to win. He can go wherever he if wants. If you don't clinch the NL West this season, he's gone. Oh, yeah. Either that or make, like, a huge CM change. So, good thing we're in first place now, and great news about us being in first place. Maybe things are actually turning around, but who knows? And I hate that we're, we seem to be wrapping up on such a downer here, but, the, but it's something that you need to look at, where Nolan does not look like Nolan. He's making defensive mistakes. He's not hitting very well. He's he not smiling, looks, man. He's not smiling. This is, I mean, it's Nolan Arenado. It's a man who loves baseball more than anyone I've ever seen, and he doesn't look like he's having fun. So bring back the golden thong and make baseball fun again, right? And launch Jeff Breidich out of a cannon into the sun. Alright, well, um, thanks for joining us. Uh, this has been the Rock Pile Talk Pile. Uh, we'll be hearing a lot more from Evan and Henry uh, in the next couple of weeks. So stay tuned. See you guys next time. It's just a matter of time. So, yeah. We're in the purple, we're in the purple. Yeah.